what in the Big 12 did we witness Thursday night at Milan Pushkar Stadium? A back and forth game between West Virginia and Baylor. So much excitement, so much drama, so many mistakes, so many injuries. We're going to try to unpack it all as West Virginia is somehow back to three and three, back to 500 overall and one and two in conference after picking up its first Big 12 win of the 2022 campaign over Baylor in 43-40 fashion Thursday night, the final Thursday night of the regular season, by the way. Nick Farrell here on the Golden Blue Nation podcast brought to you as always by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawFirm.com. It is officially the halfway point in the season now for the Mountaineers who came off their quasi-open week to beat Baylor by three points as the Bears still have yet to win in Morgantown. First meeting, 2012, we all know what happened that day. Geno Smith led the Mountaineers, and a bunch of records fell as WVU beat Baylor 70-63. Since then, the Bears have been cursed in the Mountain State, truthfully, 0-6 now at Milan Pushkar Stadium. And, wow, that, that game was just... <laughs> it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. We're recording this on Friday, and, man, still just, like, thinking back at certain moments in the game and... There are a lot of moments that you could point to as a potential turning point, right? The Jasir Cox scoop and score fumble recovery, that was huge. The blocked extra point, that's a three-point swing. When you look at it, West Virginia scores two points on the scoreboard, but really it's a three-point swing in a game the Mountaineers only win by three points. And then there were a ton of other. I don't want to make light of a head injury, but of course, Blake Shapin getting knocked out of the game definitely impacted the way that Baylor was able to play on offense for the remainder of the second half. That was critical. Uh, and I think that you can take two things away from this game. To me, these are the two biggest things that I learned about West Virginia football and about the Big 12 Conference this season from that 43-40 win. Here they are. West Virginia is not so unlucky that it is never going to get a break. West Virginia went five games, arguably, without getting a single big break to go its way, and then all of a sudden they get a ton all in one night. So West Virginia's not cursed. Contrary to what you might read on Twitter, the Mountaineers are not cursed. But then the second thing is the margins in the Big 12 are just so slim, so slim. I think you could say that at any point over West Virginia's, what, 10 years of existence in the league. You look around and you say, yeah, in order to beat a team like X, the margins are extremely slim for West Virginia. But I think that you could say that at just about any any team in the conference this year. I, I mean, when West Virginia played Kansas, we didn't know a lot about the Jayhawks and what they would turn into this year. The margins were extremely slim on that night, and West Virginia wasn't up to par. The margins were slim against Texas. Really, maybe they weren't slim against Texas. That was the only game that you can look at this season and say West Virginia was outclassed that night. Mountaineers fell behind by three or four scores in the first half. That, that game was never really in doubt. Texas cruised to victory that game. But in the other two Big 12 games that West Virginia has played this season, against Kansas and against Baylor, the margins were extremely slim. And look at how close those games were. The Kansas game went to overtime. And the Baylor game comes down to a last-minute field goal by Casey Lake for the Mountaineers to win by three points. I think that's how it's going to be the rest of the year. When you, when you look at the Big 12 Conference, when you look at West Virginia's remaining schedule, there are no automatic wins this year. There are no slam dunks. And West Virginia is going to have to win by fine margins, by making fewer mistakes than its opponent this season in order to get to bowl eligibility. Uh, 
And I think that honestly, every team in the league is looking at that same is looking at that same thing, right? Like think about Oklahoma, zero and three entering this weekend. Iowa State also winless, right? Those two teams have been some of the better squads in the league right now, and it seems like a long shot for them to get to bowl eligibility at the midpoint of the season. So to me, that's the biggest takeaway from this game. But let's go through uh, what we what we saw on the field, the big moments in the game. We'll hear from Coach Brown, and then we'll touch on a few other key points from the matchup. Uh, West Virginia, uh, as noted earlier, fell behind in the first half to Baylor, trailing 17-7, but ultimately was able to get back level, thanks in large part to Jasir Cox's first big contribution of the night and biggest contribution during his time as a Mountaineer. The North Dakota's former North Dakota State player got a scoop and score in the set in the first half that really turned the game on its head. At that point, it was already clear that like West Virginia needed to get stops in order to win the game. The offense was going to keep a minute. Could the defense stop the Bears on offense? And and the Jasir Cox play loomed large in that regard. West Virginia trailed by seven points, 24-17 at halftime. In the start of the fourth quarter, then another key moment, a key momentum swing came. Baylor broke a 31-all tie by scoring a touchdown to make it 37-31. The ensuing point-after attempt was blocked by Dante Stills and returned by Jacoby Spells for two points for West Virginia. Again, yeah, two points on the scoreboard, but it's a three-point swing as Baylor should have been up 38-31 after the extra point. Instead, it's 37-33, and that also reshaped the landscape of the game. Next possession, West Virginia drives and scores on a Tony Mathis touchdown run, a great one at that, and Mathis had a terrific performance. We'll talk more about him in just a bit. And then uh, Baylor ultimately uh, got level once again. It was 40-37 to after the Mathis touchdown. Baylor scores a field goal shortly after. Uh, there were a couple of interceptions where it looked like, okay, the game is over, and then the game's not over, and then Baylor kicks the field goal, and West Virginia's offense, as it has done for most of the season, very composed on that last possession. In those crucial moments, West Virginia gets it done primarily by running the ball on that final drive. Mathis doing a lot of the legwork, getting it down inside the two or inside the one-yard line. Couldn't punch it in for a touchdown, but what ultimately happened was Baylor ended up using all three of its timeouts as West Virginia had a goal-to-go scenario. Casey Legg chips in his second short field goal of the night to give West Virginia a 43-40 lead, and that was ultimately the final score as Baylor couldn't get close enough to kick a field goal in the dying seconds of the game. Mountaineers win 43-40. As we mentioned, that moves WVU to 3-3 three three overall and 1-2 and in the Big 12 Conference. And what that means is with six Big 12 games to go, even though many of them seem like uphill battles for this team, West Virginia just needs to win half of them to get to bowl eligibility. And when you look back at the parallels between last year's game and this one, West Virginia also faced Baylor in game number six last season. The Mountaineers were manhandled in that game. They lost 45-20. They fell to 2-4 and four overall and winless in the Big 12 at 0-3 in that point. By winning by three points against the reigning Big 12 champs, the Mountaineers avoid that same fate and are now one game ahead of where they were this time last year. So it was a huge win, a big one for head coach Neil Brown. Let's get his thoughts following the 43-40 victory over the Baylor Bears. Talked to Tony Caridi on the radio on Tuesday night and he said okay what's the what's it going to come down to and I, I really felt like it was going to be three things turnover margin which we won um who could who could establish a run game which we did um and then scoring touchdowns in the red zone um which we did good enough 
And so I think those that's the story of the game. I'm, pr- I'm proud of our group, our team. Our, our we overcame adversity, you know. And and I, and I said this after Virginia Tech, and I'll say it again. I think the demise is is, is kind of getting ahead of itself. You know, we won three or four. Um, this league's going to be wide open. There's a bunch of really good football teams. That team just won the Big 12 championship last year, and they got a bunch of guys back. You know, and they handled us pretty hand. They handled us pretty quickly or pretty good last year, and our guys came back. And there was plenty of times the game was seventeen to seven, um, and and then coming out in the ha- in the second half, we got behind too, and our guys just showed a lot of grit. And we got a team, you know, defensively we gave up you know some yardage, we gave up some plays, um, but we also lost four guys during the game, you know, that were out for the game. And we had some guys come in and make plays, and we forced turnovers, and which is huge. We we came back in those two last drives of, of regulation, uh, not 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 counting the last one, but I guess the second and third last drives of regulation. We get a turnover, we make a field goal, and those are really productive. Like we'll grow from that, and so, and then offensively, you know, I felt like we were pretty good all year. You know, and, and I've said that, felt like we were pretty good. Um, like, those guys are good on defense. They're really good on defense. And you'll see it. It'll play out the rest of the year that they're pretty good on, on defense. We had 74 plays for 500 yards. We ran the ball for 217. Like, we controlled the line of scrimmage. And they've got a top-round pick that plays on the D-line. And their front six is really good. And, and our receivers, which we uh, – you know, whenever we played last – you know, we sit here and talk about drops. They made a bunch of plays tonight. So let's make sure we talk about that. There was a bunch of contested catches. There was a bunch of passes behind them. And they made a bunch of plays. And so I sit here and talked about the drops last week. I'm going to talk about them making plays. And they're growing up. Um, I thought Tony Mathis, um, he was decisive. And that's where he hadn't been this year. And he ran like he did against Iowa State and Texas last year. I thought he was decisive. And then Caden Prather's growing up. You know, he, he's going to be as good as he wants to be. And, he, and he's growing up before our eyes in his last few games of he's played really good football. And so um, I knew – I told our guys all week, I thought we were going to make a play on special teams. And, you know, the field goal block team I think says a lot about your, field, about your football team. Because, you know, you go out there and a lot of times it's on PATs when you've given up a score and everybody's down. But if you got belief and your kids are bought in, they're going to go hard on your field goal block team. And so, you know, our guys played hard. And I think it was Dante that got the hand on it and Jacoby Spells ran it back. And that's a huge play. It's a huge play in the game. And so every game matters – or every play matters. And, and so really proud of our guys. I thought it was, thought it was a big win. So, so, Kevin, you start us, please. You spoke after the Texas game about being able to match plays, to stay in it. Obviously, you were able to do that tonight. Did that give you confidence during the game, even when things went against you a little bit, that, hey, we're doing what we need to do? Yeah, you know, I thought the really the, the biggest play of the game was the fumble recovery that got returned. It was I think it was 17-7 at that point. And offensively in the first half, we didn't play great. But um, – and, and listen, I have a lot of respect for Baylor, but it wasn't anything that Baylor necessarily did. You know, we were going to go for it. We had two downs. We ran the ball on, on third and three, and we got stuffed. And, and really, we just miscommunicated up front. We should have gone out to the blitz. And it, it, worst case scenario, if we if we went out to the blitz, it's fourth and one or fourth and two. We're going to go for it at that point. So we kind of shot ourselves in the foot there. Then JT missed a signal on a second down on the next drive and on a second down play, and we get into third and long, we don't convert. 
And so that's how it got to 17 to seven. And so that, and, and all we've been stressing, you know, on defense, we got to get better, right? I mean, like, I think everybody understands that we got to get better. Now we played better in the fourth quarter, but my message to them is if we'll just continue to play hard, good things will happen. Like things have a funny way to even and out. All right. And if you play hard and you do things right way in preparation, the ball's going to eventually bounce your way. And let's be honest, it ain't bounced very many damn times in our way this year, right? Until tonight. And so we got a couple good bounces. Jasir picked it up on the, and, and ran it in. And so that was the play. And then I felt like once we once we got going offensively, I felt like we could make enough plays. And and, and that proved true. JT tried to make it interesting there um, with, with the interception late, but um, – but we got it done. Just from a confidence standpoint, how big is it for this particular group to pull out a close game after a couple heartbreakers earlier this year? Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, without question, it's it's important. We, uh, you know, we had chances obviously to win game one and game two, and we didn't. And I think it's important here at home too. You know, um, the people that that were here tonight, they saw a hell of a football game. You know, and the people that weren't are probably going to be disappointed they didn't see it because it was two teams, not just ours. Baylor battled too. You know, they had some adversity and they came back, and that's a group that's really well coached, and and they battled. And so, um, you know, the end of game scenarios we worked those a lot. And so once we held them to that field goal, I felt really good about our two minute situation to go in and win it. And uh, we were able to hit some runs. And, and that was kind of the story of that drive. But, yeah, I think it does. You know, anytime you can win some close games, you know, it helps. You know, for us, I hope this what it does. It really sets us up for a stretch run. Because, like I said, we've won three or four. Uh, we got to go on the road um, to a tough place. They're coming off a of bye week. Um, but we've got a chance to, to, to get some win behind us. You know, difference running game today versus last week. And you're down a good player, but results are much better. Yeah. So I think I think there's a couple things. Is we we were able to keep them off balanced this week, um, and we were probably um, um, the score never got away from us. Last last week it got away from us a little bit, so probably gave up on the run too soon, and and understandably so. Um, and then we just didn't do a very good job getting up to the second level against Texas. So we switched how we were IDing some things. Uh, we single blocked more in this game and, and didn't worry about his, uh, double teams as much. Um, and that was helpful. And I thought our running backs were much more decisive and we broke a lot more tackles than we did uh, in Austin. That's head coach Neil Brown following West Virginia's 43-40 victory over Baylor to get its first conference win of the season. We'll give you some final thoughts on that matchup and look ahead to the game against Texas Tech, which is coming up next Saturday. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers. Unexpected hurdle? Pritt and Spano. Unseen circumstance? Pritt and Spano. Personal injury, criminal law, flash wills, family law. You need a firm that will be with you through it all. Pritt and Spano. Their passionate team will employ their resources and unique perspectives to deliver the most effective representation. When you find yourself in need, turn to those who will fight for you. Pritt and Spano. West Virginia's lawyers. Find them at yourwvlawfirm.com. Golden Blue Nation podcast brought to you by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, yourwvlawfirm.com. Nick Farrell here to put a bow on this edition of the podcast. Let's just highlight a few key performers 
to wrap this up. Jasir Cox, as we mentioned, two fumble recoveries, one return for a touchdown. We heard during the offseason a lot about how West Virginia was building its secondary through the transfer portal, bringing in guys with national championship caliber ability. Cox is one of those guys and who had not really made a huge impact through the first four or five games of the season, but certainly burst onto the scene there. It's another example of how the transfer portal can work in maybe mysterious ways. Maybe it's a little bit too early to say that West Virginia's defensive transfers were duds, because sometimes it does take just a little bit of time for these guys to get adjusted to their new systems, to the new level of play. Of course, Cox comes from the FCS level, was a big-time performer at that level, but it does take some time to get acclimated and to get up to speed in the Big 12 Conference. Maybe he's turning a corner. We'll see. That would be huge for West Virginia if it's a fact. Tony Mathis with a career high, buck 63 against the Bears and two touchdowns. His performance comes in wake of the C.J. Donaldson injury. Remember that Donaldson did not play against Baylor after suffering a concussion against Texas in what was a very scary situation. But uh, there is some optimism within the WVU football program that Donaldson could return to practice next week and potentially suit up against Texas Tech. But even without him, West Virginia had a really difficult challenge in trying to run the ball effectively against Baylor, a team that entered the contest as the second best run stop in the Big 12 Conference. Well, West Virginia lit up Baylor on the ground, even without their freshman sensation at tailback. Big reason for that. Tony Mathis, as Coach Brown said a moment ago, very decisive running the football and clearly put forth his best performance as a Mountaineer. Big spot for Mathis and great to see him achieve what he achieved. Also, big spot for Dante Stills. Ties the program record in tackles for loss. Entered the game with 46.5 TFLs. Got one in the fourth quarter to tie the program record at 47.5. He's now matched with Grant Wiley's career output, a record that Wiley has held for close to two decades. Stills is still in the running to climb the leaderboard at WVU in career sacks. He has 21 or 22 and a half sacks to his credit. Believe that puts him one behind his father, Gary Stills, uh, and he could... Uh, continue to climb as well. Looks like the all-time WVU record is going to be out of reach. It would require Stills to get about 13 more sacks this season. That's likely not going to happen, but maybe he could get enough to leapfrog his father and a couple of others along the way. Oh, and how about this? Just one more quick note. Uh, I'm sure all of you caught this if you were watching the game on TV. Garrett Green caught his first career pass. He also took at least one snap at quarterback during the game. I think it came in the first half of action, not looking at the box score right now. Uh, just remember seeing him run the route and being like, six, six, who is number six at wide receiver? Holy heck, that's Garrett Green. Uh, wonder if we'll see more of that this season. Uh, Green was the first backup quarterback to come on against Towson. It does appear, even though the depth chart has listed all of JT Daniels' backups as or guys, that everyone is technically listed as the backup. It does appear that Green would be that guy in a situation where he needs to come onto the field. I kind of wonder if we might see a little bit more of the trickeration, especially after Texas threw a wide receiver pass for a touchdown, and then Baylor tried to burn West Virginia on the exact same type of play during that game Thursday night. I wonder if we might see Graham Harrell dig into his bag of tricks a little bit more, especially with a game coming up against Texas Tech. Yes, Graham Harrell, West Virginia's offensive coordinator, a bit of a homecoming for him coming up in West Virginia's next game. The second half of the season starts on the road in Lubbock, a place where there are a lot of connections between the Mountaineers and Red Raiders, not just Harrell, 
Coach Brown also spent time at Texas Tech. And then, of course, uh, the, the legendary John Denver was also a student at Texas Tech before he wrote the song that Mountaineer fans love to sing at the end of every West Virginia victory. So that should do it here on the Golden Blue Nation podcast brought to you as always by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, URWVLawFirm.com. A reminder that we post these reaction shows after every WVU football game. We invite you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon Music so that you have podcasts, future episodes of the podcast delivered directly to your feed. You can also listen to every episode at GoldenBlueNation.com and on the free Golden Blue Nation app. All right, that's a wrap on this edition of the Golden Blue Nation podcast. Follow Golden Blue Nation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more Mountaineer sports coverage. And check back with us after every WVU football game the rest of the season for additional post-game coverage. I'm Nick Farrell signing off. Talk to you next time.